I'm not afraid to admit to you this morning that I was afraid of the dark as a child. In, in fact, I should probably say that I was afraid of the dark longer than, longer than it was really cool to be afraid of the dark as a child, or really okay to be afraid of the dark as a child. And I've, I've, uh, I've dealt with that, I've overcome that, um, and I still, I still look back on that and think, what's it about the dark? What, why, why, was I, why was I scared of, uh, of shadows and, uh, and darkness? And yet, sometimes darkness is something that is something we should be scared of. Uh, sometimes the dark can be terrifying. And, uh, uh, and one of those such times was in, uh, on December 5th, 1952, in the city of London. Many of you will know the event where a terrible and deep darkness came in over uh, over the city, and by the time it had lifted four days later, there were over 4,000 people that had died and another 100,000 that were very ill. It had been a, uh, a, a, a terrible event. In, in the case of London, it was cold winter, um, people heating their homes more than usual, coal plants firing at uh, full blast, and that in combination with an anti-cyclone and near windless conditions just made it a blanket of thick, deep fog, uh, smog that uh, shut out all light and uh, made the entire city descend into darkness. They say that the darkness smelled like rotten eggs. And it was so thick that people report not even being able to see their feet. Uh, cars were abandoned. Uh, birds flew into the side of buildings. Uh, transportation ground to a halt. And robberies went way up. As people did venture out, they would literally be shuffling along the street, blindly navigating uh, lampposts and curbs and other pedestrians. Sometimes the darkness can be very scary. In the city of London's case, the thing that the weather conditions changed, a wind came in, uh, eventually uh, environmental standards would, uh, would uh, bring some additional changes and relief. Um, but I mention that because the Bible says that we live in the midst of a spiritual darkness. And you have felt this. I have felt this. We have... Uh, we, f we feel it in different ways. Uh, sometimes we feel the darkness when we face circumstances that just seem hopeless. Uh, we don't understand what the way forward might be. And sometimes we feel the darkness when shame makes us want to retreat and hide from other people and hide who we really are. And sometimes we feel the darkness when temptation will pull us deeper into sin and uh, that sense of, of, of regret and, and wanting to, to hide out there for a little while. We feel the darkness in different ways. When you feel that darkness, though, what does it mean when we look at a passage like we'll see today? What does it mean that Jesus is the light? That he's the light of the world? Um, how do we receive that light? What do we do in having approached the light and still feeling the pull of that darkness? What are some of the ways that we can navigate 
through a world with darkness and even where we experience the darkness of our own heart and soul and wanting to receive, wanting to enter into Jesus' light. Those are some of the questions that I think our passage deals with this morning. And so I want to encourage you to turn there with me where we've just been working section by section through John's gospel. And today we come to John chapter 8, verses 12 to 30. Uh, in your pew Bibles, it's on page 840. And uh, we just encourage you to follow along as I read from verses 12 to verse 30, John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him, because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself, since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? He said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. And I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. This is the word of God. Now, the first thing that we see from this passage about the light that Jesus provides is that we need it to live. It would be easy to see this light as something that is extracurricular or optional. But it's something that we need to live. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that this particular event where Jesus has been speaking was called the Feast of Tabernacle or Booths. Uh, Today, it's known in our community as Sukkot. Uh, It's that time where uh, the the Jewish people look back on their wilderness, wilderness wanderings. They look back with grateful hearts to how God provided for them as they traveled through the desert, as they made their way through the wilderness from Egypt into the Promised Land. 
But one of the function, one of the features of this particular festival was the lights that were a part of it. A at this festival, they would light up four huge golden lampstands, and th those lampstands would be filled with the would be fueled by these four large golden bowls filled with oil, so that they would be constantly burning. The, the lights were so bright that they said that when nightfall came, you could see the, the light coming from these lampstands extending over the tops of the, uh, the temple walls so that because the temple was set up on a mount, you could from the surrounding uh, uh, area outside of Jerusalem, it looked like the entire temple was glowing. It felt like the light of God, the glory of God was in amongst his people and there was great celebration and joy. Those lights would continue to burn through the night. And because of that, in, in the, uh, uh, the courtyard, there would be dancing and celebration and singing praise to God. And it would continue all through to dawn. And so that's the celebration that we, we enter into as we, uh, as, as we be begin to look at this passage. But those lights weren't just... They weren't just lights that were uh, bringing light but not telling them anything. The lights were intended to point them backwards and help them to, to think on things. Uh, they were first uh, to point them back to that, those desert wanderings. It was helping them to remember how God had led them through the darkness through that great pillar of fire. It was a, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night, and it was God's presence leading them forward. You can imagine having grown up as a slave in Egypt, now having been rescued from that, now you are traveling somewhere you've never been before. Now you are going somewhere, and all that you've been given is hope and promises, but in the meantime, you've got to travel through a dark and lonely desert. And... God wanting to show, him that, show them that they were not alone. He revealed himself in this pillar of fire. And as they traveled through the darkness, as they, as they moved out and as they stopped, it was always with the recognition, God is amongst us. God is leading us. God is the one that's going before us. God is the one who will protect us. And as they celebrated at Sukkot, they would think back to that event. Once the people were settled in Israel, they built a temple. And so they needed, no longer needed a pillar of fire to guide them. But instead, when they constructed the temple, God commanded them to build a lampstand. In the holy place, they would have this golden lampstand and they would line up 12 loaves of bread that were replaced regularly. And those 12 loaves of bread were to, sell, were to symbolize the 12 tribes of Israel. That lampstand was, command, was commanded that it would continually be fed by oil so it would be this burning, shining presence uh, upon the, 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 the loaves of bread representing the people of God. And so again, you had that picture that even though we have made it through the desert into the promised land, God hasn't left us. God hasn't left us in the darkness. His light and his blessings still shine into our lives. They continue to burn brightly amongst the people of God. And so as they celebrated this feast, they would be looking back to that event. 
But interestingly, it wasn't all looking backward. Because what happened in Israel, that there rose prophets in the land. And those prophets said that just as God had led his people through the desert darkness in the past, there was coming a time when God would visit his people. That there would be a Messiah to come who would bring great light in the darkness. So for instance, Isaiah chapter 9 verse 2 predicts, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. We often read that verse at Christmas time because it is this great prediction, a great prophecy of the Messiah that was to come. But as they celebrated at this festival, they would remember scriptures like that. They would remember the light that was to come. And one of the ways that they, they, they symbolized that in their gathering, I mentioned those four huge uh, golden menorahs, the lampstands. Those shone all week long. But they reserved a fifth one, a main one, a central one, that they left unlit. Almost as if to say, there is a greater light coming. There is a, a greater light that will shine. God will visit his people. And it wasn't until the last day of the feast, on the final day of Sukkot, that they would, they would light that final golden lampstand and it would shine brighter. It, the, the courtyard would be even more filled with the light of God's presence. Imagine that scene. Imagine that expectation, that hopefulness amongst the people, and Jesus stands up in that setting and says, I am the light of the world. Shocking claim. If I were to say that to you this morning, you would, you would pick up and throw things at me for, for making such an incredibly audacious uh, and proud statement. But it was that very claim that he made in the midst of, of the people. He's claiming to be the very presence of God in their midst. He's claiming to be the one who dispels the darkness. He's claiming to be the one who will lead, who will guide to be their hope. But he's more than that because he's standing and saying these words at the culmination of a Jewish festival, but he doesn't stand up and say, I'm the light of the Jews. I'm the light of Israel, although that would have been a completely appropriate statement. Instead, he says, I'm the light of the world. I'm here bringing hope and guidance and the presence and glory of God not just for a small group of people, but for all people, for all time. The pillar of fire led Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. It guided them as they walked through the desert. But in verse 12 it says, and Jesus says, whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. To follow Jesus is to walk from despair into hope. He guides us from shame into honor, from sin into purity. He takes us somewhere. He leads us. He's our pillar of fire. That's why Paul could say in Ephesians 5.8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you're light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Jesus delivers us from darkness, and we somehow in him become light in the Lord. 
We, we receive the light of life. We receive that, the life-giving power of his light. And he calls us children of light. He calls us to bring the darkness of our own heart before him, to be exposed by him, but not, not just to be exposed so that we would be ashamed, but to, to be exposed by his light that our darkness might be transformed, that we might be redeemed in the light of his presence. Called as children of light to walk in purity, and so to reflect his light, to reflect something of the glory and purity of God to a watching world. And so if you're feeling the darkness this morning, the invitation is for each of us to come into his light. If it feels like you're wandering in the desert, if it feels like you're in circumstances that are darkness, then let him guide you. Ask him to lead you. Or if temptation has led you to a place of regret, a place where it feels that you better hide and stay in the shadows, he calls you out. He calls you into the light that you need and that I need to live. But as we see that light, as we hear that invitation, it would be easy for us to think that this is an accessory to life. That it's, Jesus is a light, like a flashlight that I could use in emergencies. That when my own resources and ability to see through the darkness fail, then that's when I will go to Jesus. That's when I'll, I'll, I'll reach for the light. But his light isn't just a fallback for when times are tough. Because he says next that without his life, there is, in effect, no hope. Apart from the pillar of fire, we are ultimately lost in a cold and lonely desert. Without the light, there's no hope. As warm as Jesus' invitation to light is, his warnings against those who reject the light, who those who resist the light and won't step into the light, are just as stark. So in verse 21, he says, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. It's interesting. He's going to leave, and, and though they resist him now, he's saying, you're going to continue to look for me. It's not like people just give up on hope. It's not like people just stop looking for rescue, salvation. Yeah, you'll, you'll continue to do that, he says, but you will not find me. In rejecting him, they'll go on looking for a savior, continuing to search for hope, but in turning their back on the hope that he offers, he warns, there is no other light. There is no other hope. As he holds out the light of life, he warns them of eternal death and dismissing him. He repeats that same idea in verse 24 where he says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's a warning Yes, as he has provided incredible promises and incredible invitations that the stakes are high in resisting them, in refusing them. Refusing to see Jesus as the light of the world snuffs out the hope of forgiveness. Refusing to trust in Jesus as our light seals our judgment in sin and he warns there is no other light to come. Beyond me, there is no other fifth lampstand. And that's why he says in verse 21, where I am going, you cannot come. Too many people think that they will follow Jesus into heaven even though they have never followed him in this life. 
They haven't followed him anywhere else, and yet they think they will one day follow him into heaven. And too many people trust in Jesus trust in Jesus to, to usher them into heaven, even though they have never trusted him with their life here on this earth. One of the other consequences of rejecting Jesus' light is that we stumble in the darkness. And so as you read through this passage, it, we see what, we, what we've seen many times already in the Gospel of John. Jesus will make this incredible statement, incredible invitation full of hope and promise, and then there's this going on. Then there's this, this debate and confusion and questions and, and, and just chaos in the midst of the people as they struggle to say, how, how will we respond? What will we do? And so we see in this passage full, full spiritual confusion. In verse 19, Jesus says, You know neither me nor my Father. You, 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 you claim to worship God, but it's clear from your response that you don't really know him. You haven't really come to understand him. When we reject the light that God gives us, our understanding becomes darkened. That's why in verse 25, they ask Jesus who he is. They still don't know, seemingly, even though Jesus has kept telling them. He's just told them in, in verse 12 at the beginning of this passage. And they're like, yeah, but who are you? What, what, what's this all about? And look how Jesus responds in verse 25. Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. Like, why can't you get it? And if, if they had just wandered in here and they didn't really know much and, and this was kind of like the first time, you, could, you might think, Jesus is kind of being a little hard on them. But the point was, they should have known better. It's like they have spiritual cataracts, like they're spiritual, spiritually deaf. These were religious leaders. These were people that committed their lives to the scriptures. They read from the Bible, and yet there was that blindness, an inability to hear, inability to see. Finally, in verse 27, it just says, they did not understand. And you're like, how could they not understand they, they, they studied so much. They, they had all the degrees. They, they did all the learning. They'd been to all the courses. And yet you recognize here that truth is spiritually discerned. It, it's not just a matter of who's read the most books, who's put in the most time. It's an issue of the heart. And so when God reveals truth, we will either respond to it and grow in, in our understanding of who he is, or we will resist it and become even more hardened and more blind to the next truth that God would otherwise reveal. Truth is spiritually discerned. If you know something, that the dark, something of the darkness that this passage is talking about, like if this is real for you, as I hope it is, then the message is not to treat the light that Jesus offers each of us lightly. Not to treat it as something that is optional or extracurricular. Also, if you're in the dark about what to do next, maybe the issue is, as it was with the Pharisees at a, at a profound level, maybe the problem is that you need to back up 
a few steps to where God's voice was clear. His direction was clear in your life, but you resisted it. You failed to respond to it. Because sometimes what we do, we don't hear the things that God is saying into our life, and yet then we want to hear some direction and and, uh, want a word of hope and encouragement and blessing in some other area of our lives, and yet we have... By, we have trained ourselves not to listen and we come to a place of hardness where we just can't hear anymore. Have you responded to what he's given you? Or are you looking for direction for the next step without dealing with the last one? So far we said that our world is in spiritual darkness and we feel that darkness in times of hopelessness, times of shame, times of regret. But it's even there when we're not conscious of it. It's not, just, it's not just something that we look to in the hard times. Jesus is the light of the world, and he's the light for our world. He's the one that leads us out of darkness. He's the pillar of fire in the wilderness. And receiving his light is life and death. Given all that, you would think that people would be flocking to the light. You'd think that Jesus would make this statement and people would come rushing forward to enter into the light and to receive the light. You would think that would have happened when Jesus first said it, and you would think that that would happen in our world today. And yet it doesn't. It it didn't and it doesn't because there's something about the power of the darkness of this world that wants to hold us in its grips wants to hold us and keep people from the light, keep people from accepting who Jesus is. Consider this woman who posted her thoughts on a website called The Experience Project. She said this, I prefer darkness over light. Very honest. She said, the darkness allows me to hide who I am and what I truly feel. In the light, all things have a chance to be revealed. Darkness makes it easier to hide. In the dark, you can't see what's coming next. The darkness is a place where you can lose yourself. Lost in the dark is a great place to be, she says. Because then you're free from what you were, and you can be what you want. Do you understand what she's saying? She's saying that she prefers the darkness because she knows that when she steps out into the light, she's exposed. There's a sense of accountability. There's other people who realize what's really going on in her heart. And so she prefers to do this, keep people at a distance, lurk in the shadows, where she can pretend like nobody else exists. Where she can make the calls, she can chart the course, and not worry about what other people might say, what other people might think, and probably can do so with a sense that probably God doesn't even see. Or if he, d- if he does, doesn't feel like it matters. That, that is the power of the darkness, and that is not uh, some odd person in the corner of the internet somewhere. This is something that affects you, and it affects me. You remember that amazing announcement that Jesus made in verse 12 about being the light of the world? Watch how the darkness keeps people from responding. 
In verse 13, the Pharisees speak first. They, they say, in effect, in verse 13, you're just saying that. It's not true. It's not even a really good argument. They, then, then they say, not only, you're just saying that. It's not true. They say, like, you don't have, like, many supporting witnesses. We haven't seen a lot of people coming forward to, uh, to vouch for, for you being the light of the world. Like, I'm not sure who you would, who you would call as witnesses. But what Jesus does is, is point them to the witness that he's given. Uh, he's given testimony for himself, yes, but he says the Father has also testified on my behalf. Darkness keeps us from recognizing that. They had ignored the, the testimony they had given, the testimony of the miracles. They had ignored the, the, the testimony of the prophecies. They had ignored the testimony of the authority of Jesus' words. They had ignored all that and blocked it out in order to resist him and to stay in the darkness. They refused that evidence that Jesus is, is the light. And the thing is, if I'm honest, when I want to wallow in my despair and sin, I do the exact same thing. I hold back from the light. I refuse to acknowledge the light. I refuse to come into the light. And you do too. Darkness tries to keep us from the light by trying to make us just see Jesus as some human light, another, another human light in the crowd. In this passage, the Pharisees, time and time again, keep trying to understand Jesus in human terms. They try and fit him into their mold, to look at him through their grid, and he doesn't fit. So Jesus confronts them in verse 14. He says, you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. Or then in verse 23, he says, you are from below. I'm from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. That's what they didn't get. They kept trying to see him as just another human teacher, just another prophet, just another rabbi. And he defies their categories. He confronts their refusal to believe. And I believe he would say the same thing today to millions and millions of people around this world. People who respect Jesus. People who think he's a really good teacher. People who think that he knocked it out of, the, out of the park with his morality and his religious teaching. People who look to Jesus as a great prophet. And Jesus would come to them today as he did then, and he would say, you do not know where I come from. He would say, I'm from above. I'm not of this world. Come to me for light. Recognize me for whom I, who I am instead of trying to keep looking at me through your little lens that is refusing to recognize me. Don't let the darkness make you think that Jesus is just another human light. He's a heaven-sent Son of God and Savior of the world. Thankfully, as much as the darkness tries to keep us into the light, there will always be some who are willing to Take that step of courage. Take a step of courage out of darkness into light. 
Even with the religious leaders and the crowd denying and debating Jesus, the section ends in verse 30 on this note of hope that there are some, even in that crowd, even in the midst of great resistance, there are some who respond. So in verse 30, there's, there are those words, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. I, I think the same thing probably will happen this morning. Many will go home unchanged. Many will hear words of light, words of life, invitations to step out of darkness, but will choose to stay there. Some will continue to hide behind the smiles, hide behind the distance, hide in the shadows. Some will be content to just treat Jesus as a really good human teacher, a really solid moral figure. But that's not who he claims to be. Some will look to him for religious instruction without trusting him with the darkness that they feel. Some who even name the name of Christ as their own and have genuinely trust him won't trust him with what's real. Won't trust him with the darkness that they feel. But some will trust him enough to take a step out of the darkness. As I look back in my own life, stepping out of the darkness into Jesus' light has meant different things for me at different times. When I first met Jesus, stepping into the light meant bringing my life before him and trusting him. Trusting him as my Lord, trusting him as my Savior, giving authority over my life to him. That was a difficult step. But then later it involves stepping into the light of fellowship with other Christians, allowing other believers to get close enough to try and see something of the real me. That was probably in some ways more difficult to me, for me than the first. Then it involved dealing with the darkness in my heart and confessing sin, admitting what was really going on. And then it continues to be dealing with the darkness of my circumstances and instead of trying to fix it on my own and deal with it to bring it before the Lord, even when I'm saying, I don't get it, I don't understand it, I don't know what you're doing, I'm confused, I'm lonely, it feels like darkness, lead me by your light. As I look at those various steps out of darkness into light, I'd like to be able to tell you they've gotten so much easier. I don't think they have. I don't think the, step, I don't think the steps ever get easier. There's something about the darkness that wants to hide and wants to hold us. And so I've, I don't think, as I think back of any of those steps, I don't think they've ever been easy. But as I've taken those steps, I would say to you that when I have stepped into Jesus' light, I've always felt the power of that light. I've felt the hope and the relief. I've felt his presence and his certainty. And it's always been worth it. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Let's follow him into his light. Let's look to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending light into our darkness. 
Thank you that there's hope when we can't see the way forward. Father, I pray that you will minister to that person this morning feeling the weight of that darkness in their own heart, in their own circumstances. Help them to step into your light. Guide their steps and show them that they're not alone. And Father, I pray for all of us. Help us to invite more of Jesus' light into our lives. Help us to step, into, step out of the darkness. Help us not to hide. Help us not to keep people away. But to follow the pillar of fire wherever it leads. In Jesus' name, amen.